This weekend on the second Sunday of Easter, it is called Divine Mercy Sunday. And the gospel that we are presented for, uh, for looking into today is, is the gospel every single year on the second Sunday of Easter because it very specifically mentions the eighth day. It very specifically mentions that it was the second Sunday after his resurrection that he appeared to his disciples the second time. And it was at that time that Thomas was actually with them and that Thomas was able to affirm his belief after seeing Christ risen from the dead. Thomas, of course, has the benefit of being able to see the Lord and being there at his resurrection. We have the benefit of seeing our Lord and hearing the Lord through the words of the Gospels, the witness of the apostles, the witness of all those who wrote it down, and the passing on of the faith that has been given to us. Now, what's beautiful about this, this Gospel and this, this celebration of the Divine Mercy Sunday is that Divine Mercy Sunday was so named in the year 2000 by Pope John Paul II as a result of the revelations of Jesus to St. Faustina. Saint, Jesus appeared to St. Faustina over a, a period of years, giving her these, uh, uh, the, these appearances of him and giving her these words and giving her these instructions that he wanted specifically a feast of mercy, a feast of his mercy. And so it is this gospel, this is the one that Jesus chose, to, to be chosen as a divine mercy, specifically because of the words that are spoken in the gospel. Jesus breathes upon the apostles, and that's an important key thing. He breathes on them, and we hear this breathing on people one other time. We hear this at the beginning, when God makes Adam and Eve, he breathes on them. He breathes into them life. And so what Jesus is giving to the apostles is this supernatural life, to, in a sense, transform them, to change them, to pass on the very thing that God came to do, which is to forgive sins. There is, in a sense, this newness that is coming about, and it's important that Jesus rose on Sunday, which is the first day of the week. In Jewish tradition, the Sabbath is Saturday. For us, of course, we celebrate Sunday because it's the day of the resurrection, and Jesus specifically rose on this day to show us that it is a new creation, a new creation that he is beginning. And so then when we see, John specifically mentions the eighth day, we know that the eighth day is a sign of this new creation. And this new creation that Jesus is bringing about is this new creation of giving us that forgiveness of sins, giving us that sanctifying grace that was lost by Adam and Eve in the garden. He now gives to us through the ministry of the priest, through the ministry of the bishops, through the ministry of the Pope that is handed down to us so that we can have this forgiveness of sins. This beautiful, beautiful gift of forgiveness of sins. Jesus gives the instruction, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. It's an odd phrase to forgive if you for, whose sins you forgive are forgiven and whose sins you retain are retained. Have you ever heard of sins being retained? You don't have to answer that out loud. I... It, is, it is the point of the priests and bishops to actually retain sin, to retain sins. But what does that look like? If someone were to come to me in confession and be unrepentant, and I notice that in the way that they are confessing or the things that they have said, it is my duty to actually say, I can see that you're not repentant. 
I can see that you have no sorrow for your sins, and thus I cannot forgive you. That would be an example of retaining one's sins. A specific example of that where I've actually had to do it in confession, it's, it's really the worst thing I've ever had to do is to not grant forgiveness. It's because it was an impossible situation that I couldn't grant forgiveness. And that situation was such that someone was divorced and had remarried outside the church. And thus, we know that without an annulment, an annulment is not a Catholic divorce, remember. An annulment is saying that there was something at the time of the marriage that didn't allow the marriage to take place. But until that annulment is pronounced by the church, it's one of the ways in which the church forgives and retains, by the way. But it's also... Um, but it's also in that moment that they have contracted a new marriage and they are unwilling to get out of the marriage or they are unwilling to live a, uh, as, as brother and sister in that marriage that I cannot forgive that sin because they are not correcting the situation. They are, in a sense, unrepentant because they are going back to the same situation to enter back into the same sin. It's the same thing with any sin. If someone were to come with me and say, well, I committed this sin, but I'm not really going to change in order to be different. That's something that I cannot forgive because one is unrepentant and one is unwilling to actually do the work to change. That's what it means to retain sins. Like I said, I've only had to do it a couple of times and I hate it uh, when I do it. And the reason that I hate it is because I think I've told you this story before, but my experience in my very first confession my very first confession was, uh, I was about, I was in second grade, so it would have been around 1988 or 1989, whatever it was. And my uh, religion, religious ed teacher prepared us for confession, and she said, you know, if, if you might have a hard time forgetting your sins, go ahead and write them down. And in her wisdom, she gave us all a little booklet as to how to go to confession. So I took my little booklet into confession, and I had spent quite a bit of time writing down my sins, and I put it into my booklet so that it'd be right there when I opened it up. And the father begins the confession. I open my booklet. I pull out my paper. I go through my list of sins. At the end of, the confession, at the end of my sins, uh, father looks at me and he says, they're your sins. You should have them memorized. Okay, father. <clears throat> so because of that, I am super merciful, I feel like. If you ever feel like you've gotten a, you feel, you've not experienced mercy from me in confession or feel like I've given you a hard penance, you probably deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and another thing about penance is that uh, I, always, I always try and ask, can you do this penance? Because it's actually, if you can't fulfill a penance, you need to tell the priest. It's important to do the penance. If you can't do the penance... Um, and I've had an instance where someone didn't know prayers. They didn't know Hail Marys and Our Fathers because they were new converts. So I had to come up with something different for, for penance. Or, for instance, Father Jarrett Conrad, he told us once that he went to confession. And for his penance, they gave him the penance of uh, reading an entire book, the Confessions of St. Augustine, which is pretty thick. And, <laughs> and we always joke that, did you ever fill that penance, Father? <laughs> So, so if you ever get a penance that you know that you can't fulfill, make sure you tell the priest, Father, I can't fulfill that penance. And we have a duty to make sure that it, we give you a penance that you can fulfill. And so because of that experience, I try to be as merciful as I can, but also try to be truthful, try to be honest, and, and try to be the best confessor uh, that I can be. 
I think we also can look at, look at this forgiveness of sins and, and we, we want to look at the early life of the church. What did the early life of the church look like? How did the, how did the apostles begin to live their life with Christ resurrected in the very early days? And we can actually see that in our first reading today, in the first reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Chapter 2, verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the communal life, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Based on these four things, we ought to be able to look at our own Christian life and look at our own community, look at our own parish and say, how are we fulfilling what the church is meant to look like? Because this really is the model for all of us to establish how our church ought to look. And so what, it, what does this mean? The teaching of the apostles. We look at all of the scriptures, and St. John even says in the gospel today, he says, I have included all of these things, but there are so many more things that were done that they couldn't, that all the books in the world couldn't contain them. And so because all of the books in the world couldn't contain this, we have in our lives, in our, in our church, what we call tradition. And this, and this tradition that is passed on through the teaching of the apostles. So these are the things that Jesus did. These are the things that we have come to know, to believe is true, that we adhere to as Catholics. It's not something that is just pulled out of the blue. It's not just something that, um, that, that the bishops today just say, well, you have to follow this. It's actually something that comes from the scriptures, and it sometimes can develop as new things develop in the world. The, the, the bishops do have to get together and contemplate, okay, this is what scripture says. How do we apply scripture? How do we, and it's not just scripture, but how do, would the apostles have applied these principles to this, to this thing today that we need to make a declaration on? And we begin to uh, adhere to that as best we can. And so this teaching of the apostles is the tradition that has been passed down to us. And so they found themselves devoted to what the apostles were teaching them. This is still when the apostles were alive. But we find ourselves hopefully devoted to the teaching of the successors to the apostles, who are the bishops today. The communal life, another translation that says into fellowship, this communal life is how do we live together as a, as, as a parish? How do we live together as, as Christians? In the early days of Christianity, you know, they lived closely together so that they could come together, they could pray together, but also they were a very persecuted community, and so they desired to live close to each other so they could support one another. They recognized that they were being persecuted, they were being hunted down, and they were being killed. And so if one of their family members was killed in a persecution, they could still support one another in the midst of that community. And so we have that need to support one another in our community, in our little parish as well. And we do that through our common prayers, which we'll get to in a little bit, because that's one of the four aspects. But also, how do we financially support one another? How do we lean on one another for, for just advice? How do we lean on one another for helping each other out grow in the Christian life? Thirdly, it says they were devoted to the breaking of the bread. This passage from the Acts of the Apostles says that they would go to the temple in the day and then, and then they would celebrate the breaking of the bread in each other's homes. The breaking of the bread was, a, was the earliest phrase in which they talked about celebrating Mass, celebrating the Eucharist. At that time, the celebration of uh, the Liturgy of the Word happened in the temple. That's why they would go to the temple. And then they would come home and they would celebrate the breaking of the bread, which was the very thing that Jesus did at the Last Supper, and the very thing that Jesus said, do this in memory of me. And so they were keeping Jesus' memory alive. They were keeping Jesus alive as they were instructed to do through this breaking of the bread and what we call today the Holy Mass. And so we are keeping alive what Jesus tells us to do 
in the breaking of the bread where he says that he is present in his body and his blood so we may receive him and have the life that he intends to give to us. And finally, the prayers. The prayers are the praying for one another in our trials and our tribulations, in our joys and our sorrows and our sufferings, to always be praying for one another. And we do this in a real way in the midst of the Mass, in the general intercessions. Now, the general intercessions are called general because they're meant for the whole community. So we typically don't pray for very specific things in the general, general intercessions. But outside of the general intercessions, we ought to be interceding for one another, recognizing that someone is in need, someone is, is in pain, someone is suffering, someone is sorrow, someone is, something is going on in their life, and we ought to be interceding for one another on a regular basis. Every single day, we ought to be spending time in prayer, praying for one another. That's how we build each other up in the communal life, but that's also how we come together and we pray. In the midst of that prayer, we don't just intercede, we also give praise to God. We give praise to God for he, who he is. We give praise to God for what he has done. We give thanks to God for what he has given us and blessed us with. These are the prayers that we are meant to offer together as a community. These four things are what it looks like in the early Christian community. Now, this very this uh, passage we have today actually takes place after Pentecost, which we celebrate at the end of Easter. But this is the life that we ought to be looking towards, saying, how are we living out this very Christian community? This breaking of the bread kind of encompasses all of the sacraments. The two sacraments that Jesus intends for us to receive over and over and over again are the reception of Holy Communion, the Holy, the Holy Eucharist, and confession. We can see that Jesus says at the Last Supper, do this in memory of me. He intends for us to receive him regularly. When we see at the resurrection, when we see when he appears to the apostles, he says, whose sins you, you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. He intends for us to go to confession regularly. Not just to wait until Lent right before Easter, not just to wait until right before Christmas, but to be regularly examining our conscience, to be regularly entering into confession, to receive that sanctifying grace that he intends for us to receive. When we look at the word Easter, the word Easter kind of loses some meaning because it's an English translation of what actually is happening. Most of their languages, when they talk about Easter, they talk about the, the Paschal mystery. Or, or in other languages, they say the Pascha or the Pasch or the Pishak. These are the different words they use to talk about Easter. What those words mean is Passover. What Jesus is doing is entering into the Passover. What was Passover? When we look at the Passover of Moses, Moses goes to Pharaoh, he performs these miracles and says, let my people go. The whole purpose of Moses wanting to bring the people out of Egypt is because they're in slavery. And they're in slavery partly because of their own sin, but they're in slavery because they have been enslaved by a people who doesn't know, know about them and doesn't care for them. Jesus is desiring to free us. And so everything that he is doing in his life is he's uniting himself to Israel to begin to show them that he is the Passover. He is leading them out of their slavery to sin and our slavery to sin. And he even, sees at the, he even says at the transfiguration that he is entering into his exodus. The exodus for the Israelites was leaving Egypt and going into the promised land. Jesus is entering into his exodus, leaving this, this world of sin 
And he is the lamb that is, cruci- uh, is, the lamb that is, that is sacrificed, just like the lamb that was sacrificed at the Passover and the blood was put on the, on the doorposts. The blood of Jesus is poured over us in the sacraments so that we can share in the promised land, which is the resurrection, which Jesus is leading into the promised land. Jesus is the Passover mystery. This is what is taking place on these Easter days. So for us to enter into the very thing that Jesus wants to give us, we have to be regular receivers of the sacraments. Attending Mass weekly as Jesus intends for us. Going to confession, hopefully monthly, so that we are examining our conscience and remaining in the state of grace to receive the sacraments faithfully, to receive them and receive the fullness of what God wants to give us, to live in that freedom that Jesus is winning for us by his death and his resurrection. Don't stay away from confession. Don't stop attending Mass. These are the things that Jesus has won for us. These are the privileges that we receive as Christians, as Catholics. Don't stay away from them. These are the very things that Jesus wants us to have. The way in which he pours himself out in love to us. Stay united to him. Don't run away. Receive them faithfully and live in that freedom that Jesus intends for us.